You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. All right, welcome back to uh, another edition of the Mile High Report radio podcast. Um, coming back after a, a failed test, right? We talked about the, the, the Broncos' uh, road test against the Ravens last week, and the Broncos clearly failed that. Uh, we definitely talked about that in the post-game recap, but it was it was not pretty, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. That's maybe a good way to say that? That is a fair assessment. Yeah, I think it's actually being easy. I, I'm tr- I was trying to be – like I almost want to just move on, right? We want to be done with it. And the problem with that is that we're moving into Chiefs week, which uh, I'm I'm calling it Chiefs week. We call it Raiders week Raiders week. Why not call Chiefs week Chiefs week? Or as Ian likes to say – F-U-K-C. There you go. I like that. F-U-K-C always works. So um, we're not all that excited about going into this week either, are we? No, because those who listened to the last podcast remember we ended it by saying, do we have to? And, and I believe my reply was yes, but not an emphatic yes. It was more of a yes. If that, if that I think works. that's how I think that's how basically all of Broncos country is feeling about this Monday night game, because even the most optimistic fan. Even the ones with the thickest orange and blue goggles, Lori, have to see that this is not going to be pretty. Yeah. It has the potential to be really ugly. I mean, I get it. It's that old adage, that old cliche. When you get two rivals together, you throw the records out, expect the unexpected, anything and everything can happen. And that's been the case with this rivalry in particular. There have been some classic games and classic moments over the course of this storied rivalry that goes back to the original AFL. But the 116th version of this rivalry, it's hard hard to see how this plays out any differently than basically everyone knows and expects it to. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, we're, we're not going into this with excitement. We're going into it with uh, apprehension. Apprehension is the right word here. Uh, I hate to admit that as a Broncos fan, I am, I am terrified of this Monday night. This Monday night football game is going to be um, not, not fun. If I can, uh, if if I can just say it as plainly as possible, I, I intend to watch uh, every minute of the game, except for maybe the 15 minutes or whatever it takes me to get the kids to bed. And uh, aside from that, uh, I will be in front of the television watching, probably in horror, right? <laughs> be like, be like watching Saw Four or something like that. Just oh my god! So I'm gonna watch it. And I'm going to hope for the best, but I am definitely prepared for the worst. You're going to plop it out there and expect it to perform. I don't expect it to perform. That's well played, 
on your part, by the way, but I, I don't expect any performance at all. In fact, I, I am, um, I, I just can't, I cannot get myself, like I'm trying to get myself to the point of feeling like this is a game that is just going to be different than what we expect, right? You, you went with the cliche, throw out the records when two rivalries get together. I, I don't know that I buy into that, but I am trying to sort of work myself up to that. Like, no, 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 no. It's going to be okay because, and I can't find, I can't find the because, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't get past that feeling of, oh, just, oh no. There is, there are a couple of ways for it to happen. The first way is my key to the game. And that is to run the football. If you run the football, you control the tempo, you control the time of possession, you keep Patrick Mahomes in that offense on the sideline. When you run the football, it opens up the entire offense. And the Kansas City Chiefs defense is hot garbage. And that is an insult to hot garbage. That's not an understatement. Their defense is absolutely terrible. When you look at the stats, and I'm pulling them up right now. Because why have them up and ready to go beforehand? The Chiefs defense is 32nd in overall defense. How many teams are in the NFL? That would be 32. Oh, so they would be last, right? That's how that works. They're tied for 18th in rushing, tied for 31st in passing, and 30th in points. The Broncos are third in the NFL right now after three weeks in rushing. Yeah, that has been a that has been a nice surprise, I think. I think everybody was excited about Royce Freeman. I think Philip Lindsay was the big surprise that everybody was really happy to see. But that is that is a, a good point to make. And that does actually it makes you feel a little bit better going into this game, knowing that the Broncos do have the ability to run the football. And for all of the the terrible offensive line mistakes that you saw against the Ravens, if and it's Garrett a, holds. Yeah. Garrett Bowles is a is, is a good place to start. But even Ron's Oh, oh, Garrett Holds. I'm sorry. I'm, I was so going. I didn't understand at first. But yes, it is. Garrett Holds is a, is a much better name for him. But if he can fix that, and even like even Ron Leary had a bad penalty that game. Everybody had a penalty in that game. If they can shore that up a little bit, and they can not kill as many drives, you might you might see the running game take over. And and actually that that plays into my keys to the game which really center around Case Keenum. And, you know, if you read my article, my one big takeaway from the game uh, against the Ravens, I essentially put Case Keenum on blast. And I, and I got called out for that a little bit. But I think that what I was essentially trying to say was, this is a guy who was supposed to come in and fix the big problems that the offense had. And the big problem the offense had was turnovers. And in the first two games... He had four interceptions, but he overcame. In the third game, on the road against the Ravens, when the when the game was still in hand and still possible, right? The, the victory was still there. His timing was bad, and he threw that interception at the worst possible time. If 
Case Keenum can control the tempo of the game, and I think you're right, the running game is a big part of that, but if he can control the tempo of the game, hit some short passes here and there, extend the field when he needs to, the offense can keep pace because of how bad the Kansas City Chiefs defense is. If he can control himself and not have the interceptions, not have the turnovers. I am not sure that I am as confident in that happening as other people might be. Uh, I know I was called out for his is just the third game. Let's not, you know, don't throw him away right away. But he hasn't been the Case Keenum of last year. He's been the Case Keenum of Jeff Fisher years. And so I'm a little worried about that. But that would be a key to the game. And the running game would be a huge part of that. The other aspect that ties into all of this is defensively, the Broncos have to stop Kareem Hunt. You have to make Patrick Mahomes and that offense one-dimensional. If you allow them to run the football, it is going to be a very, very, very long night. Let me ask you. If if it's one-dimensional, you then – Jeff Essery, his key to the game – was to just blitz the entire game. Blitz the entire game. Right. Just harass Mahomes. If you get beat, so be it. But harass him, get pressure on him, make him uncomfortable. Don't allow him to think. Don't allow him to do anything. Because he's going to be facing constant pressure. And the only way you can do that is if you stop the run. If, if Kareem Hunt runs the football and this offense is able to to just do whatever it wants, Andy Reid and the Chiefs are going to eat like Andy Reid has never eaten before. And he's eaten before. The man has eaten. He, you know, it's funny, before we recorded, you talked about him being locked up at Shanahan's or something. He would love that. He would absolutely love being locked up at Shanahan's or Elway's or Ruth Chris or Applebee's the Buckhorn Exchange yeah whatever is it possible for him to get into a food coma no would that be possible or would he he be like would he be like uh, John Candy from the great outdoors oh that's a good question I think he's in a perma food coma where he's actually active like he's sleepwalking that's what I think is happening he is in, he currently, right now, as you and I sit here and record this podcast, Andy Reid is in a food coma. He's just also functioning. It's one of those weird anomalies of nature. Is that possible? I don't know. Ah, science is weird. I'm not going to go into it. You know, I did write down uh, another key to the game, and this was the, the, the pessimist in me, and it was uh, uh, some sort of natural disaster that just prevented the game from happening. That, that was another another key to the game that I thought of. But I like our other ones better because they're more optimistic. They, they do actually shed some light on some things. Is it possible for the Broncos to win this game? Yes. I, I, and I say that, and, and here's what I'm going to tell you. And I, I go back to a time um, that I guess some people would consider long ago. When Brian Greasy was the quarterback of the Denver Broncos, and they traveled to a land where they no longer play football in Missouri, but on the other side in St. Louis, 
And they played an opening day game against the St. Louis Rams in, in the year 2000. And, and I I'm think not, you remember the game I'm talking about. I'm not going to do it. No, no. Hear, hear me out on this. And in that There's game. There's a chant you wanted me to do. I'm not going to do no, it. No, no. You don't have to do the chant. I, you don't have to do the chant. It's fine. But if. if there, You don't have to. But it was in the year 2000. And you could in the year 2000. Thank you. And you I did you, it. You did it. Thank I you. Did it. In that game, they played what, what people called the greatest show on turf. And, and that offense that the St. Louis Rams put out on the field was an unbelievable offense. And the defense couldn't stop them. But the Broncos answered every time. And this Chiefs defense is so bad that if the Broncos are able to answer when, whenever the Chiefs score, then it's going to come down to whoever has the ball last. And I believe that they could have played that game in 2000 in perpetuity which means forever for some of you. And it would have just gone back and forth. Unfortunately, that's not how sports work, and you have to have an end unless it's baseball, and then you can play in perpetuity. And the end came when time ran out, and it just so happened that St. Louis had the ball last, and they scored at the end. That was it. That is That, to me, is the way that the Broncos can win this game. And they're at home on a Monday night, and that actually gives them an advantage. And that is as optimistic as you will see me tonight. And the way that plays out is if you do that, if you keep pace with the Chiefs, you're then banking on Von Miller or someone along the orange rush making a game-changing play. Yeah, they didn't come up with that against Baltimore, right? Well, they didn't get the chance to. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, every time they were on the field, they had the chance, but they really didn't get. They had all of the 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 big plays happened early on, and at the end of that game, if they could have caused a turnover in some way that would have given the offense an opportunity to get back on the field, they could have still won that game. Although I would tell you that in that game, there was no way Case Keenum was going to lead them back. No, I think Case Keenum would have found a way to throw another turnover or take another bad sack. Right, and I and I agree with you on that. But what we didn't see was that opportunity that was never given to them by the defense. And that's disappointing. I, I, I do think that Kansas City is so bad on defense that you're absolutely right. If they can get one play, one interception, uh, a strip sack recovery for, you know, for for no yards, but just just take the ball away. They can flip the script a little bit, and they can be the ones who take the lead at the end of the game and actually win. I think it's possible. We'll talk about whether or not I think it's going to happen later. The other big thing they have to do is they have to contain Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I, special, I don't know how they do that. Special teams and on on offense with those little screen passes at but the way the the secondary the frequent flyer zone has been playing the first three weeks that is a scary proposition and then you throw in Travis Kelsey I mean he's and and it, I think Kelsey is the one that is scarier than Tyreek Hill and scarier than Kareem Hunt because you know that the Broncos struggle against tight ends and and Travis Kelsey eats when he plays 
the Broncos almost as much as Andy Reid does. At this point, everyone eats against the secondary. And that's a, that's a problem. And that actually leads to a, a question that you uh, you posed to me, and, I, and I'll sort of just bring it up. And it, and it has to do with a, a defensive back that used to play for the Broncos that no longer plays for the Broncos. And the question is, did John Elway do the right thing in getting rid of Aqib Tlaib? And I think it's a legitimate question to ask at this point. You brought it up before we started recording, and I think you were absolutely right to bring it up. Did he do the right thing? I think many fans in Broncos country are leaning towards no, uh, but I, I would like to hear your take on that. What makes it interesting is when you have Broncos country, Broncos media, making fun of John Gruden and the Raiders for getting rid of a pass rusher. And then John Gruden wondering what happened to his pass rushers. But then you flip it around and the Broncos get rid of an all pro cornerback. And now you have the frequent flyer zone. It's an interesting dichotomy. And the whole reason for Akib Tlaib not being with the Broncos anymore is money. It was a business decision. It was because they saved $11 million against the salary cap. But then you look at the dead money that they're paying to Minelik Watson, and it's close to $7 million in dead money they are paying for Minelik Watson. Makes you wonder, was it, was worth it really it? a business decision? I, you know what? That's you bring up a good point because isn't the dead money for Akib to leave? It was a million bucks, right? It was one million dollars. And so, I, I may be fuzzy on this, and so you might have to correct me. But if they cut him, it's a million dollars, right? Correct. They trade any, him any, any way they got rid of him. Any, it was doesn't cost matter how they got rid of him. It, okay, so that's that's the one thing I didn't really understand. So it didn't matter how they got rid of him; it was going to cost the team a million dollars. So they got rid of him. They got something in return, but what they're not getting is play on the field. And I suppose the question is, would you trade today the money, the $11 million, to have a keep to leap back on the field and having an impact for the Broncos? And put his injury aside, right? We don't know that he would have been injured if he had played for the Broncos, so you can't really talk about that. Would you trade that $11 million for his abilities on the field. And I, I think I would. So here's the dead money that the Broncos have. It's basically 7 million for Minelik Watson, 3.1 million for Paxton Lynch, 1 million for Donald Stevenson. I'm not good at math, but that's $11 million. One Three and seven. I don't have eleven fingers, so I can't count to eleven. But I'm pretty sure you're right. I'll just, I'll just give it to you. Um, no, I, I would agree. There's, there's an issue there with that. I would, I would argue this was a business decision, right? Getting rid of Akib Talib was a business decision, but business decisions aren't always made based on money or aren't always made based on the immediate returns of money. 
And so this had as much to do with maybe not enjoying having him in the locker room and hoping that getting rid of him would, you know, stem the tide of, of sort of discontent in the locker room a little bit, which would save them money in the end in other ways. I, that's a possibility. I think that's that's the answer. And, and I think that the the big because, mistake here is they chose Vance Joseph. This is maybe this is the issue. They chose Vance Joseph over Akib Talib. Yes, that's and, exactly what they did. I would argue that unless you have, uh, you know, sort of a Hall of Fame coach, a guy who has proven himself through the years to be somebody who can control a locker room, who can build a team, who can coach a team to the playoffs and the Super Bowl and those kinds of things, you should probably side with the player over the coach. And this to me was a, this was a misfire, right? This is a John Elway miss, and he's not going to be perfect, but this is a pretty big miss, uh, in my opinion. When you look at what they've done business-wise, aside from that move with Aqib Tlaib, it doesn't wash. So it's entirely about the locker room. And it's entirely about Vance Joseph. And it, it, may, it really makes you wonder. It, it really, really does. Because both of us didn't want him back. They did, we did not want Vance Joseph back. I, I I don't know anybody who did, to be quite honest. So you're then getting rid of a guy who is an absolute character. There's no doubt about that. Who is going to bring flavor. He's going to bring his unique personality to a locker room. That was a really nice way to say that. I'm, I'm impressed that you came up with that. Very good. And I think... The last two years without Peyton Manning and then one of those two years without DeMarcus Ware really emphasized the lack of leadership. And it's probably what allowed Akeem Tlaib to become a bigger problem than he he was maybe during the Super Bowl year because you had Peyton Manning and you had DeMarcus Ware to keep those guys in check. That's an interesting point. So, so let me ask you this, and this is something that you bring that up and it just sort of struck me as an interesting idea. You did have DeMarcus Ware and Peyton Manning, and then uh, you had just DeMarcus Ware, and then you had nobody. Was Aqib Tlaib really maybe one of the next guys on that list of leaders? Because I can't think of anybody on offense maybe than, other than Demarius Thomas, um, who I know a lot of people in Broncos country hear his name and they – they get really tense about things, but let's sort of aside from that, as leaders in the locker room go, wasn't it was sort of like Akib Tlaib and Von Miller were were next in line after you moved on from Demarcus Ware and and Peyton Manning. That was sort of the progression of things. I would put Chris Harris Jr. and, and, and Chris Harris Jr. Akib in fact, yeah, as as I was thinking that also, but also like not not above Akib Tlaib or, or Von Miller, but just sort of also in the conversation along with Demarius Thomas and um, Matt Paradis, maybe Matt Paradis, you know, some, someone, someone on the offensive line, Emmanuel Sanders, is maybe, probably maybe Darian Stewart. Sure. You, I mean, you've got leaders, but the type of leaders that you've got with, you know, with DeMarcus Ware's stature and Peyton Manning's stature, that's hard to match. Right. 
Yeah, and you can't just replace guys like that. No. Not just with what they do on the field, but what they do in the locker room. Exactly. And and I would argue that there wasn't a single guy that we named in that list that really had any higher stature than Aqib Tlaib where they could go to him and say, "Hey, cut that out." Or that's not how we do things. Or you know, we don't need we don't need that kind of stuff in in the locker room. And so the natural progression of things was that he was eventually going to become a locker room issue. Right. Well, and especially when you look at Vance Joseph as a head coach, because he can't I mean, control I, a locker room. We we talked about this last season, where it felt like he was becoming a meme because of the practice stuff and the way that he was just standing behind his players that he had no business standing behind. Right. When I heard about this football 101 stuff, I just thought to myself, are you kidding me? Because the same I, I had that same image in my head. That's a meme. Football 101. And then you look at what the product on the field was, for an example, most recent example, against the Baltimore Ravens. If they're doing football 101, what the hell are they talking about in that football 101? As my wife made a joke, here's a football. It has laces. It's not uh it's not a sphere. I mean, is it like the scene from Bull Durham? I mean, it's it a could, simple game. It is it a could, simple it's game. It's a simple game. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you hit you, the quarterback. Just to paraphrase. That's I mean, a football version of it. The football version of it, absolutely. They are definitely lollygaggers. They lollygag, you know, onto the field, and they lollygag. The old man will appreciate this, by the way. The lollygagging, the throw the ball. You, you know, the best scene on that, though, is when he says, uh, Crash was going to show me how to throw a curveball. And... and uh, was it was it Robert Wool? Is that his name? He's oh yeah, that's a great idea. Give me a ball. Who's got a ball? Somebody got a ball? Give me a ball. <laughs> Love that scene as they're getting ready to fight on the bus. So um, that was a fun tangent. Bull Durham's always always always, always worth talking about every time. Classic, one of my favorites. Oh yeah, up there with Major League. Oh yeah, I believe it, it's to me it's it's better than Field Major of Dreams. League. It's to me it's 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 Bull Durham, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, the Natural. I'm a I'm a sap sometimes. Major League actually ends up being kind of far down on my list. People always, you know, kind of get mad at me about that. I love Major League, but what about Sandlot? Sandlot to me is a great movie. Showed it to my son. Um, I was about right at the end of the summertime, kind of beginning of August. Uh, fantastic movie. It's not better than it's. You know, it's it's maybe it's top ten. Maybe it's maybe it's in the top ten. League of Their Own. League of Their Own is is a great movie. Tom Hanks, oh my gosh, fantastic! His his speech about how at the end when um, when Gina Davis is is leaving and she says it's too hard, and he looks at her and he says it's the hard that makes it good. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. I love that line, and my old man will appreciate that too because I think that's his favorite line in the movie too. And I'm starting to feel a little old. That was a that was a tangent. We did uh, end up talking about baseball movies there. And uh, that's okay because everybody likes a good baseball movie. Let's get back on track and okay. talk about the greatest hit in NFL history. Oh, I love it. So, so let's 
I agree. Let's talk about that hit, but let's talk about our favorite moments or the, the biggest moments in Broncos Chiefs history. And we, do you want to start with the hit? Should we call Steve and ask him about it? We've already asked him. People could just go back and listen to it. Yeah, just go back and listen to that podcast with Steve Atwater. Because he talks about the hit and what led up to it. And him talking with Dennis Smith and Tyrone Braxton about what led to it. Great stuff. I mean, Man, the whole podcast is is great. I still to like every once in a while I just I kind of just think to myself, I can't believe I had I I I spoke to Steve Atwater for an hour about football. It's it's, it's a highlight for me. I know you do it all the time. It's nothing now for Ian. He's always on 760. They're always talking to him about stuff, but but for me, you know, lowly Adam Malnati from Greeley, Colorado, that's a big one. That's a big deal. So, but he also had a hand in I think what is the greatest moment in this rivalry and it wasn't in the regular season. No, it was not. It was in the AFC divisional round yes, in Arrowhead. And, and we agree on this one. This is the biggest moment in Broncos chiefs history for Bronco fans. And it was that fourth down play where Darian Gordon knocks down Elvis Gerback's pass in the end zone and the Broncos win 14 to 10 and go on to play the Pittsburgh Steelers the next weekend at three rivers stadium in the AFC championship game. It was, that whole season, can I, can I just say that whole season was sort of, it was maybe the hardest season to be a Denver Broncos fan because they came into the season expected to be great. And they won a bunch of games to start the season and they looked like they were going to just steamroll the league. And then they had some trouble in the middle of the year and they kind of fell back and the Chiefs ended up winning the division that year. The Ironically, because of that game they played that season. That's right. And the Broncos it was in November of that uh-huh. year at yes. Arrowhead, they lost twenty-four to twenty-two. And you will notice November that that game—that's right—that game is not on our list. You'll notice that. That's a that's an interesting point. That that game's not on our list of greatest moments, but it is an important part of this moment because the Broncos win the wild card, and then they go into Arrowhead Stadium, and to come away with that victory to to sort of exercise their demons, so to speak, and, and come away with a victory there and then go to Three Rivers Stadium. And they played Pittsburgh earlier in the year and lost to them as well. To go in, to go into Three Rivers and beat Pittsburgh and then go on and beat the, the heavily favored Packers who... Now, did they play the Packers that year as well? Am I, am I mistaken in saying that they... They did play the Packers that year, am I right? I would have to go back and look. I know they played Pittsburgh. They did play Pittsburgh, and they did obviously played Kansas City, and I'm pretty sure they played the Packers, but I could be wrong. I'll digress on that one. But that was a great run of games that they that they were told every step of the way they weren't going to win, and they won every time. And they weren't blowouts they were great games they they were exciting they were fun to watch and that Kansas City game was in Kansas City in the playoffs with their backs against the wall and they still came away with a win that is the biggest moment in Broncos Chiefs history in my opinion and then I think the other game that you have to mention and it's maybe not one that Broncos fans will want on this list, but 
it's one of the five greatest games to ever be played in the NFL. And that was the Monday night game in 1994. Oh, that was another but, one. We talked about games that whoever had the ball last is going to win. That, that literally happened in that football game. Literally what happened. And I wish they could have played that game forever. That game was so much fun. Not how it ended. No, but I, John Elway and Joe Montana, two of the two of the greatest. He had the greatest quarterback in the history of the game, and like the number six in Joe Montana. Don't at me. And <laughs> and they just back and forth for an entire game. And as time's running out in the in the fourth quarter, it wasn't. It was these quick drives. It that was an incredible game to watch. Marty Schottenheimer had to have one of them, didn't he? I guess. I guess if and and he got the one that was maybe the most exciting, um, as far as just sort of the, the action at the end. I, I, I'll give you that. So so there you go, I Marty. Meaningful of the group, but he had well, to have yeah, one of them. It's, it is the one that that meant the least. That's true. It didn't do anything for anybody, but it it was fun to watch. That was a fun one to watch. Um, the other one that I always go back to. And it's it's much more recent. And everybody knows where I'm going with this. 2015 fumble recovery to win the game. Jamal Charles puts it on the ground, and you get the scoop and score, and the Broncos win. And and 2015 is off and running, and they go and they win the Super Bowl. That was that was a huge moment in Broncos history, just because of the the tone that it set for the season, and the attitude I think that it gave to that defense in knowing that. No matter what happened, they could win any game on their own. You know what's ironic about that game? I really hope you're going to tell me. That's the last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs. I really wish you hadn't told me. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. That's wow. the last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs. Well... I mean, it's now a five-game losing streak. That's, uh, that sucks. <laughs> that's the only thing and I can this is, say there. This is another interesting fact. Prior to this five-game losing streak for the Broncos, they were on a seven-game winning streak. Huh. They beat the they beat the Chiefs seven straight times and now have proceeded to lose five straight times. Okay, well that's enough. That's enough of that, right? That's, that's that's enough of that. Let's not get all the way to seven here. Let's let's go ahead and put an end to that sooner because I would hate to go a full season without beating the Chiefs. But I don't know how I feel about whether or not that's going to happen. This is an interesting rivalry, right? Would you agree with that? This is a very interesting rivalry. It is. I, it, it's one of those that for the for the for the more seasoned season. There you go. The seasoned fans. Helps. It's it's the Raiders, and then it's the Chiefs. And I think for like the the millennial fans, the the the, the fans the who young, are the young young kids, the, Scotty, who are younger than us, Scotty. The Chiefs may be the biggest rival, uh, maybe along with the Patriots. Right. And that's what brings up an interesting point because I've never really viewed the Patriots as a rival because the Broncos have always beaten them. I've actually argued that I think 
bigger rivals for the Broncos historically, the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, that's actually that's a really good point. Historically speaking, uh, they've had bigger moments against the Browns. Browns, that was a fun way to say that. And bigger moments against the Steelers. The the big moment that I that you have to go back to that you just have to go back to the 2015 season was beating the Patriots in the playoffs in 2015 after having sort of that big win. Brock Osweiler led the team. I know that sounds weird, and you had the the uh, you know C.J. Anderson touchdown in the snow. That was a huge moment, but those were wins, and I can't think of. How often do the Broncos lose to the Patriots? It's not very often. Tom Brady has a losing record against the Broncos. Am I right about that? Yeah, two of two of the three quarterbacks he's beaten in Denver are Tim Tebow and Trevor Simeon. And that doesn't count. Like I, I don't think you actually get to count that when his career is over. They'll take those victories away from him. I think the other one was actually Danny Cannell, if I'm remembering correctly. Danny Cannell, three quarterbacks. Tom Brady is beaten in Denver. That's not a, I wouldn't call that a prestigious list. It's kind of a lower tiered list. If you, if you will, like who did you beat in Denver? Uh, beat, uh, beat Danny Cannell, who uh, I believe went to Florida. I beat uh, Tim Tebow, who I believe went to Florida. And I beat Trevor Simeon, who I believe has, has, has lived in Florida. So take that Florida. I'm not sure. Where we're going with that, other than not impressive in to, on on Tom Brady's part. Who are who are your players to? Let's get back on to this. I game. know we, we keep we keep getting off on tangents. I think it's because we don't actually want to talk about the game. We're um, just delaying it. I know we are. All right, players to watch. I'm going to go uh, offense first, and I think that you sort of talked about the running game, and I'm going to talk about Case Keenum. And and I I hate to harp on him. I hate to sort of continue my. Case Keenum bashing, and I'm not really bashing him, but he's the guy who sets the tone. We've talked about tone setters in the past. Aqib Talib was a guy who I always felt was a huge tone setter for the defense. And on offense, the biggest tone setter is usually your quarterback. And so can Case Keenum recover? Can he come out and participate in a shootout? And that's what I'm going to want to see because I think we both know going into this that this is going to be a shootout. This is going to be a high-scoring game. And so can he keep up without screwing up? And if he can, then I think the Broncos have a chance. And if he can't, then they don't. Offensively, my player to watch is Garrett Bowles. Is he going to be Garrett Holds or is he going to be Garrett Bowles? Because there's there's talk about him being a bust. I mean, he was not good against the Ravens. No, granted, but, he, he he did play well the first two weeks. Right, he was better. But if you listen to 104.3, Mark Schlereth ripped Garrett Bowles apart. He said that they need to bench him. They, they he he basically said they need to play whoever else they can get in there because he's he, he's basically too dumb. And he's not good enough. And yeah, he called him a bust. That sounds like Fox, uh, Fox Mark Schlereth, where you know he's the announcer for a, for a game on Fox, and he's got to say sensational things so people will listen to him. And I, I got to disagree with that. I, I mean, he was good in the first two games, without question. He was good in the first two games. So why go 
a full 180. And I know that I am talking, I'm talking about how bad Case Keenum is, and people are going to say the same thing. Like, well, what about your take on Case Keenum? And I and I'm fully aware of that. I'm aware of that of the hypocrisy of what I'm saying here. But I think with Garrett Bowles, he's he's a young left tackle who has a ton of potential. And I know young is relative because it's it's young as as in he's only played for so many years in the NFL, not young in age. And I I think that he's better than what he was against the Ravens. That game had so many other anomalies as well. I, I'm not gonna. I don't really want to. I don't want to besmirch. Garrett Bowles right now. Let's see what he does against Kansas City. Let's wait a little bit. Let's let's give him another game or two. He went against Terrell Suggs. Who is he's going to, good. He's now going to be going against Justin Houston. Yeah. Who's, who's better than Terrell Suggs? A little better than Terrell Suggs, I would agree. Maybe um maybe get some tight end help. Do a little chipping. Get a little get a little chipping going. I, I think the Broncos have to scheme for that. That's to me, that's another situation or another scenario where the Denver Broncos. Do you really have to... want that situation if that's your le- your starting left tackle where he needs no? Help? But that's the that's the situation you're in. So what are you going to do? You're just going to throw throw everything away because you don't like Garrett Bowles. If Garrett Bowles wasn't the best option at left tackle, he wouldn't be playing left tackle. Name me a guy that the who that. do the, who do the Broncos have on their roster right now that you think would be better than Garrett Bowles at left tackle. I can I I can I think Billy Turner could be just as good as Garrett Bowles. Okay, but just as good isn't isn't worth giving him the spot. Why not? Because just as good is still you're terrible it, based you're on it on potential. No, no. It's, why not go then why why did they get rid of Paxton Lynch? Because Paxton Lynch proved that he couldn't overcome any of the issues that were presented to him. He was a mental failure before he was a failure in any other capacity. And, and that's the argument that people are making to Garrett Bowles because okay, he's you, doing the same stuff that he was doing a year ago and he's not grasping it. Right. But that's what you just said to me making. was but what you just said to me was Billy Turner can be as good as Garrett Bowles, but Garrett Bowles sucks. So if Billy Turner can be as good as Garrett I Bowles I didn't say that Garrett Bowles sucks. That's what other people are saying. Well so but that's the point. Who on this team can actually be better than Garrett Bowles at left tackle? I think it's about who can be more consistent. No, better. I want to know who's going to be better. Consistency need, is a need, part of need, being better. You need a you need consistency along sure. the offensive and so, line. And so taking you can't him have off the of, ebb and flows but from a guy have, for, at left tackle who's your you anchor. Have, you have a starting lineup on the offensive line. If you want consistency, you don't, after the third game, move away from your starting left tackle unless he's incredibly terrible. He had one bad game. This isn't an Eric Flowers situation where he's been bad for a long time and why haven't you benched him, which which could happen. It could happen. If you don't look at, if you don't look at his 2017 season. Which was, he was not good, right? His rookie season. He was I, one I agree. of the worst his tackles rookie year, in football. Right? I mean, his rookie year. In his rookie year, I, I, I'm just not. I'm not ready to throw him off the bus. You know what I'm saying? Let, he's still there. He's got. He's got a few more games to to prove that he can stay. If you want to come back to me in a couple of games and say he's been bad these last few games, all right, fine. But you've got to have a bigger. It's sort of like that two to one ratio: two good games to one bad game. Let's let's wait until he's at least evened those up. So if he's and, ter- and people will make the argument. You have his entire rookie season, sure, to go on top of that game against the Ravens. So, so it's it's the Case Keenum argument. 
are you going are you going to base it off of what he did with the Minnesota Vikings and think that that's what you're going to get or are you going to base it on how that he's how he's played and looked and realize that it's probably more what he was with Jeff Fisher and the Rams well but that, but that's why Garrett Bowles is my player to watch right and I, if he if he one. gets owned again by Justin Houston it's only going to make this talk louder well, and louder. I, I hear you. I hear you. I just, I just think that if you're talking about going into this game and you should get rid of him after, before you even get to this game or you should move on from him before this game, I think it's a bad choice. I, I think that you've got you've to see what you have. And one year for a rookie to learn how to play, and then he played pretty well in the first two games, you're going to see little regressions like that here and there. Can he bounce back? I think that's really where you have to go with that. Can he bounce back? Just like can Case Keenum bounce back, right? It's sort of the same dichotomy. They're just two different players playing on the same side of the football. Just, to, just to make it clear, okay. I'm not saying that Garrett Bowles no, should I know be you're benched. Not. I'm not saying that he's a bust. I'm not going that route. I'm just saying that that's what people are saying, namely Mark Schlereth. He, right. he was the one who... The former offensive lineman just completely laid into Garrett Bowles. Well, and his Mark Schlereth's legend has grown ever since he stopped playing football. So uh, as, as much as I like Stink, uh, he, he has a tendency to have a, a slightly inflated viewpoint of himself um, now compared to what he was when he was actually on the field. And he was good. He was one of the, one of the best offensive linemen we've had. So, you know, just... I don't want to talk. I don't want to speak ill of Mark Schlereth, who I actually really like. <laughs> so stop making me do it. Let's just move on. Gosh. All right. Defense. Um, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Frequent flyer zone. Ugh. All right. I, I, I don't mean, want to watch. Are they gonna? Are they gonna hand out miles and yards to Mahomes in this offense like Oprah? Like they have the first three weeks, they're like the Capital One, right? Every every charge is a is an extra mile. It's terrible. Or is it going to be some semblance of the no fly zone? And I, I think that ties into what Jeff said about his his key to the game, and and that's just to blitz the orange rush. Just blitz. If you're going to get beat, at least make life miserable for Patrick Mahomes, right? No, I hear that. That I agree with. Um, I'm I'm actually going to go with Von Miller in this one. And I, I know I've gone with two simple, easy ones. These are the two people you should watch, the quarterback and the best player on defense. But Von Miller was, I would argue, taken out of the game against Baltimore. And Bradley Chubb had a chance, right? It looked like he was going to be the game wrecker, and he and – he played pretty well for the first, you know, couple of series. He had his best game. I, I thought know, he had his best game as a pro. He I, was not only wrecking Chubb wasn't just wrecking stuff in the passing game. He was wrecking stuff in the running game. I mean, right. he Chubb was plugging lanes, you know, not letting uh not letting guys through. The Ravens just could not grab a hold of the Chubb. No, they could not. He played pretty well. What I would like to see is Von Miller take control on defense. If he's really a game wrecker, and if we want to compare him to guys like uh, Khalil Mack and, and, and Justin Houston, you want, he wants to be in that conversation, which I, I believe he's at the top of that list, this would be a great 
game for him to make a statement and say, you know, Justin Houston is good and, and good for him, and and Khalil Mack's doing good things in, in Chicago now that he's out of the division, but you know what? I'm the best player on defense. You know, J.J. Watt injured all the time, no worries. Von Miller is the best defensive player in the NFL. This would be a great game for him to prove that, and the best way he could prove that is by showing Patrick Mahomes what it feels like to play in a game where he's generally on his back. That would be phenomenal. And so I'm going to be watching Von Miller to see if he's actually capable of doing that. And he might have to fight the refs a little bit because he, he doesn't get as many holding calls as, as some of us would like him to get. But can he overcome that and still be the game record that we know he is? I'm going to add a third player to watch. Okay, that's Marquette fine. King. Yeah, because he punted like he punted like I punt. It was bad, right? He was actually bad against Baltimore. He was bad. I mean, it, it, it's gotten so bad that the Broncos actually signed a punter to the practice squad. Yeah, you got to wonder about that. Is he is he had all the issues with you know a certain radio personality during during training camp and whatnot, and. He he gave a bad interview and we kind of jumped to his defense a little bit, but you gotta wonder, is there something there to his attitude and him not really being that interested in football? And so, you know, he's it's like he's more interested in in making his Chucky video to kind of rub things in, in John Gruden's face and not as concerned about actually punting the ball and being a good punter for the Denver Broncos. That that worries me a little bit. I think it all I think it's it goes back to the beginning of time. If you can do your job, it's worth it. But he didn't do his job. That's right. And That's so why it's an issue. Now you have now you have signed another punter to the team. I would that's a big one. That's a big one. So interesting. And, think, and also because I mentioned that you have to contain Tyreek Hill. Right. So don't punt it to him. I remember do you remember the game? You you maybe don't remember the game. Uh, I was in Chicago and, and moved out here, and the, the Broncos came to Chicago. I was very excited. Oh, is this the, is this the, the yearly uh, rant about Devin yes, Hester? Yes, this is my yearly Devin Hester rant. Congratulations, you picked up on it. And uh, Mike Shanahan refused to not kick him the ball, and he had, uh, I think it was a kick return for a touchdown and two punt returns for a touchdown. And I probably will tell the story next year, and it'll be like eight kick returns for a touchdown and 47 punt returns for a touchdown because I have a tendency to exaggerate. But I know it was a lot, and I know it wasn't fun to watch. And the only person in the stadium who refused to acknowledge that Devin Hester was going to return those kicks for touchdowns was Mike Shanahan. So what are you doing, Mike? I feel like I could call him Mike. On a friendly basis. I've never met him before, but you know, whatever. That was uh that was a fun game to be at, other than my team lost because the head coach refused to adjust his his game plan. Don't kick it to Tyreek Hill. Secrets, right? I got good secrets. Um you got a score prediction? I got a score prediction. I actually have two. Uh I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with 31 24. Wow. That's low. And I mean, the Chiefs are five, five and a half point favorites. And I think because it is a rivalry game, it's being played in Denver. This game terrifies me. 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's as close as the score will indicate. <laughs> a little garbage time action. Is that what you're talking about here? Are Are you picking the Chiefs? Yes. Okay. The Chiefs thirty-one twenty-four. Okay. So I'm not. Um, gonna, I'm not picking the Broncos. No. No. Neither. Neither am I. So my initial thought was, um, when somebody asked me, "Well, what do you think is going to happen in the game?" I was talking to a, one of my students about it because he's a big, you know, big football fan. Not a Bronco fan, but I'm working on it. And uh, I told him, I said, um, 55 to 10. That was the number that popped into my head. So I think the Chiefs win 55 to 10. That's not my prediction, but that was the first number that popped into my head because that is how good their offense is and how worried I am about some of the issues that the Broncos offense had in Baltimore. Uh, I am going to predict a 50-burger, though. And I am going to go just just a little over fifty. I'm going to say fifty-one to thirty-five, Kansas City. Oh, that's gross! It tasted bad in my mouth. It didn't taste any better hearing it. No, which is weird. You shouldn't be able to taste what you hear. That's some sort of weird trip you're on, man. <laughs> Uh, all right, now now that we've got that out of the way, what else are we looking for? Because we're not going to be able to watch any Broncos football on Sunday, so what can we watch as football fans that uh, that will take up our Sunday and and make us happy? Or do we start before that? Do we go with we the Thursday before game? that? I think there's actually going to be a good Thursday night game. Oof. Vikings and the Rams, and the Vikings are coming off a. What's the, I guess the the PC way to say it is they lost to the Bills. That was was the nicest way you could have said that. They got stomped by a Josh Allen-led Buffalo Bills team. Stomped. That's how you should have said it. That's just weird. How are you going to watch it? Because this actually, there's there's another little aspect to this game that uh, some people might not have heard. But this is going to be on uh, Amazon Prime. And if you have Prime Video, I believe, and maybe it's not starting with this game, but I believe the Thursday night games, is it this game? It is this Thursday game. Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer. Am I right about that? You are absolutely right about they are that. Going to be a, it's going to be the first all-female um, announcing team, which is kind of an interesting thing that uh, – maybe shouldn't be newsworthy, but I guess it kind of is. It's absolutely newsworthy. And it will be what I watch to watch two women in the booth for the first time in history. I think it's cool. I think it's cool. And I like Hannah Storm and I like Andrea Kramer. So I imagine that I will enjoy their, their stylings in the booth, if you will. Well, Andrea Um, Kramer definitely knows her football. Yes, she does. She's been around for a long time. So that's that makes her sound old. That was mean, right? Was that mean? It wasn't I mean. I, I, think it, I think it'll be a very good combination. I, th- I think it'll be a very good combination. And, yeah. I, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and and that will be what I watch. And then that way you don't have to watch it on Fox. Which, and listen to Troy Aikman. You know, you can avoid Troy Aikman and, and Joe Buck. Who I don't mind Joe Buck. I actually don't either, but I love... And I think we've talked about this before. I love it when um, a few years ago, when the the Cubs and the and and the Indians were in the World Series, and Cubs fans were complaining about how much Joe Buck hated the Cubs, and Indians fans were complaining about how much Joe Buck hated the Indians, and it was in the same 
games. <laughs> I thought that was great. Like that, that, that means he's doing his job better than anyone. You guys, know, you guys know that means he's doing it correctly, right? So, he can't do it any better. If no, both fan bases say he hates their team. Nailed it, as they say. As he says on Twitter, I hate every team, including yours. <laughs> he do, And he does. And good for him. I think that's great. So we actually get to start the week off on Thursday with kind of an interesting matchup. And uh, will the Vikings bounce back? And will the Rams be able to, I don't know, win another game? They're pretty good, the Rams. I'm not. Could start 4-0. And a lot of people think this could be an NFC Championship game preview. Yeah, it's a, and, and it could be fun to watch as well. So that'll be a fun one. What's a, what? So how do we start our Sunday then? So there's a lot of 1 o'clock games. There are. Um I think we have to start with the AFC West. We have the 49ers at the Chargers and then the Browns at the Raiders. And Browns Raiders, that's an old school matchup, right? It is. Let's see how how Baker does on the road in Oakland. Cuz there is one listener who is going to be keen to that game if he's available to watch it. And oh, he'll he might be crying. I believe as I believe, he watches it. Yeah, Jeff will be Jeff will be available. You guys know Jeff F. Esri, right? He's been on the show. I met Brandon. Oh, you're talking about Brandon. I may have also been talking about uh, about Hannah May. She she listens to the podcast from time to time, and she's a huge Baker fan. There's also quite a few Baker fans who listen to the podcast who well, will be watching that and potentially crying. Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things where. It, you kind of get that what might have been feeling as these rookie quarterbacks come out and and play pretty well. Even Josh Allen with what he did against Minnesota, and you wonder if Bradley Chubb was the right choice when you had a couple of those rookies still available. I still feel like the only quarterback that would have been worth taking is Baker Mayfield, and I sort of feel like I still feel like they should have traded up for him. They didn't. So you move on, but he's going to have a heck of a career, and I think the Browns are going to be relevant again because of him. And that again? sounds well. They were relevant-ish um, in the. I mean, they went to some AFC Championship games, as I recall. I don't think they've been relevant since the fifties. Well, like I said, they went to some AFC Championship games, as I recall, and lost. Yeah, but they they went. You know, I mean, what do you want? You know, I, I'm trying to be nice here. I'm not. They Cleveland haven't been sucks. relevant since the 50s. You're right, and, and that's fine. And so, so my relevant again comment still stands because relevant again, just you know, almost you know, 70 years later. And then I think the other the other game that will be interesting is the Dolphins and the Patriots. Yeah. Because the Dolphins have started three and zero, the Patriots are one and two. The Dolphins haven't won in Foxborough in ten years, so if they go on the road and they beat the Dol- the, the Patriots and start four and zero, that would be a big moment. That would be a big I, moment I, in the NFL, right? Absolutely, because then the Patriots are going to be one and three, and people are going to be maybe well, there's maybe it's over. It might, and it might be. Look, Father Time never loses. Right, it's just it's just a matter of when he wins, and so uh, it it could be time, and this might be the season that you uh, you get done watching this season, and you go, okay, well that was that was the end of that, and the Patriots are done, and I would be fine with that. That would be 
wonderful. And then they would just, you know, move on to their to their next quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's in the waiting in the oh, oh no, he's not. He's sitting on the sidelines with a busted up, torn ACL. But still, the Patriots have traded away their future as well. Um, I don't know what they're going to do after FYTB is gone. Kudos to Brandon Perna. Yeah, little little Perna shout out there. Every once in a while, we got to stick it in there, right down the gooch. Yes, is what she said. The other one that'd be fun end your Sunday with the uh, Ravens and Steelers, right? That's always a great rivalry game. Not that we want to see the Ravens again, but you know, move on. It'll be fine. So I mean, it, it's a fun game. I mean, it, it, it's a lot like the the Chiefs and the Broncos, where they've they've been relevant games, more relevant than the Broncos and the Raiders. Yeah. No, we had that conversation before uh, before we started recording about how the Chiefs seem to be the more relevant rivalry. The, the Raiders are the more the classic rivalry. But I kind of made the argument that the Chiefs have always been good when the Broncos were good. Maybe not as good as the Broncos, but somewhat of, comp- of a competition. Whereas ever since, uh, I, I suppose after 1977, was that would that be the time to say, the whenever the Broncos were good, the Chiefs, the the Raiders were bad, and the the one or two times that the Raiders were good, the Broncos were bad. So um, that rivalry isn't as relevant as the Chiefs' rivalry is. To sort of go back a little bit, and I agree with that. That's what I like. And this game isn't, but this game isn't going to help anything. No, it's not. In fact, I'm going to have to go to school the next day and hear it. From I, I have a student who's a Raiders fan. He's failing, don't worry. And uh, I may not be able to make fun of him uh, on Tuesday, and that's that's a bummer. I might be able to make fun of him on Monday. I actually think the Browns will win that game. But uh, come Tuesday, I think I'm the one who is going to be made fun of. What are you going to do? Can't win them all. Do? Especially against the Chiefs. Oof. But you have to give them credit. I mean, this is their Super Bowl. That's right. Congratulations to them. I mean, they don't get to do it in the playoffs, but at least they'll get one in the regular season. So so there is that. Nicely done. Well played. That was well played, sir. And you also have to bring up the fact that they still have yet to win the trophy named after their former owner. I mean, they really should change the name of the trophy, right? To the Pat Bolin Memorial Trophy or Absolutely. the Pat Bolin Trophy. In fact, I think the Broncos should just, with a Sharpie or something, just write Pat Bolin Memorial Trophy on it, the ones that they have. Would Is that allowed? Would they do that? Or is it more fun to have Lamar Hunt's trophy in your trophy case when you're the Denver Broncos? And knowing that the Chiefs don't have one in theirs. And probably won't, even after this year, to be quite honest. No. No, I don't. I, I, they just, they're just set up for an even bigger failure at this point. Maybe we should stop talking smack about them, considering some people are saying it's our fault that Patrick Mahomes is is playing so well right now. I'm not sure. I'll take credit for that. Sure, yeah, it's us. As long as he doesn't win in the playoffs. Yeah, it's us. We've made him amazing. That's that's how it works. So, all right. Um, anything else? We're grudgingly on to the Chiefs. All right, well, we're on, to, we're on to Monday night then. F-U-K-C. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, 
Go Broncos! Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.